from the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch. This is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Assistant Features Editor at the Dispatch, and not surprisingly, a lot of people are looking into the future right now. The holidays are coming, and so are events to help us get geeked up about them. The Winter Festival at Malway Park in Upper Arlington, for example, takes place on Friday. The free event will feature ice carving demonstrations, horse-drawn carriage rides, a tree lighting ceremony, and, of course, a visit with Santa and his reindeer. On stage, Catco and Catco is Kids will present the holiday musical The Christmas Schooner, opening Friday at the Ohio Performing Arts Center. The tale of compassion and sacrifice spotlights the efforts of a family from that state up north to take Christmas trees across Lake Michigan to homesick German immigrants in Chicago. So yeah, I get it. Everybody's excited. It's hard not to look forward to the holiday season. But there's value in looking back, too, which is what makes an ongoing exhibition at the Columbus Museum of Art so important. I, too, Sing America, the Harlem Renaissance at 100, runs through January 20th. It was curated by author Will Haygood, a Columbus native and former guest of this show, and includes a powerful mix of about 130 photographs, paintings, sculptures, and other material related to the creative explosion that emerged from the predominantly African-American New York City neighborhood in the years after World War One. Today we have the museum's executive director, Nanette Macy-Junes, here to talk about the exhibition and a whole lot more. Good morning, Nanette. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Ryan. Maybe a good place to start is just telling us a little bit about the inspiration for the exhibition. What exactly was the Harlem Renaissance? Well, the Harlem Renaissance was a period that began right after World War I and then sort of peaks right as we're going into the Depression. And I'll explain later in our exhibition, it's, it's a little broader, but historically that's the period. And it's key to two important things. It's key to soldiers coming back from World War I, particularly African-American soldiers who had served in a first major international conflict defending their country. They realized that they were better treated in Europe than they were at home. And they came back and said, this isn't right. So that's one inspiration for it. And then the second was the Great Migration, which is the period that corresponds with the same decade in which incredible number of people left the South, African-Americans leaving the South, coming North, looking for both better jobs, so a better economy for their family, and also stronger civil rights. So that is the other inspiration. And the exhibition itself includes all sorts of media. There's paintings, there's sculpture, you know, there's writings. And I was also surprised to see the amount of photography that's involved in it. Can you talk about how you guys develop that and and where all of these different media fit into one another in that period? Actually, the Harlem Renaissance really starts as something that was called the New Negro Movement. And it, it came out of the thinkers of the day and the writers of the day. Those were really the first people to stand up and say, we're going, we, we want we want the same rights as everybody else. And African-Americans have a huge cultural impact on our country. And so it comes through writing first. And then it actually, I think it moves really to music next, to performing arts. So you have a lot of wonderful dance and theater and music. And then actually works its way into the visual arts. So the visual arts in a way sort of, I always think is sort of later in the movement. But a lot of the visual arts in this exhibit relate to music yes, and yes, dance yes. and all that, which and, is interesting. And of course, since our curator is Will Haygood, Will being a writer, Will wanted to make sure that the books and the, the magazine culture of the period were represented. So you'll see wonderful cases with 
with first edition books and magazines that were part of the of the Renaissance. I think really that's what impressed me about the exhibit having gone through it a few weeks ago is it struck me it could be in a history museum as well. And maybe that's Will's influence. And we talked about this when we were doing the article is that as a journalist, a, a documentarian, there is a lot of photography, street scenes. But, you know, with all the signage you have and the explanations going through kind of what happened when it did feel a lot like a history exhibit in art. I think that's a really good observation, Ken, because one of the things that's very distinctive about this exhibition is the fact that Will Haygood is the curator. So when we invited Will to do this, you know, when a curator who's trained in art history does an exhibition, and that was my field before I was a director, I was a curator for many years, you know, you look at all the artists that were there, you know, what are, who are the, all the artists are involved? And then you like begin to balance, you know, making sure everybody's represented, you know, all the artists are there and how many of these and how many of those sorts of things. That's not this exhibition. This exhibition is is a very personal exhibition about how Will Haygood, as a really important 21st century, late 20th century and early 21st century writer, how he was influenced, impacted, and how he believes other creative people, writers, artists, performers of even today are influenced by the Harlem Renaissance. So it's very much a selection of work that resonate with him. So it's very personal. It's very different from the kind of exhibition that I would have done as a curator, you know, a a working curator. And that is the real joy of working with someone from another discipline, another field, and they bring their insights into an exhibition of visual arts culture. So it does have that. And that's what people like is all the different kinds of things. Well, and what's interesting about this is Will being from Columbus, obviously you know, you talked about how it influenced him. He kind of was a boy in kind of the waning years of the King Lincoln District uh, heyday with the music and the jazz and all that. And I mean, this is really the reason this is in Columbus is because of that and because of him. But this has attracted a ton of attention. You just talked about a Washington Post. It story has. Uh, this, this has really morning, been put us on the map. It really, does. Uh, this morning, as I was coming in, I learned that they had done the Washington Post had done a big article. And we've been getting a lot of wonderful attention in the arts press. It's distinctive that this exhibition isn't traveling. A lot of shows of this size tend to have a little tour connected. We really wanted to draw people to Columbus, Ohio. As we all know, this exhibition is sort of a, a foundational Center, piece. Centerpiece. A centerpiece. <laughs> a, what am I trying to do? That's our job. We'll come up uh, with the words. But anyway, uh, it's, you know, it's key to this much bigger community celebration. There are now 30 plus partners. And for the entire year, Columbus has been celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Harlem Renaissance. And so I think that makes this distinctive. I've been told that Columbus is the largest city in the country having a community celebration of the 100th anniversary. So that makes it very distinctive, too. And you say you want to draw people to Columbus. What do you hope that they leave with after seeing this? Well, you know, I think a couple of things. I think the exhibition itself... I mean, a lot of people that come to, to the museum do not know about the Harlem Renaissance. They don't know about this extremely important cultural moment that has had, a, and one of the things that Will wants to, to think about is the ripple effect. In fact, the if you're really really strict with yourself you don't you know you don't have anything in a Harlem Renaissance show past the very maximum mid-30s our show extends all the way into the World War II period because Will wanted to show that initial that first ripple effect out of the core of the Harlem Renaissance but I think people discovering how important and how transformational this was for our country I I think that's important we're hoping to draw people to Columbus because Columbus is a great place and a lot of people don't know about us still you talk about learning about this time in history, but so much of this seems so relevant today. And I'd really be interested in your thoughts on the timeliness of this exhibition and, you know, what we can apply from the lessons from this historical era to now. 
Well, one of the things that made it such a joy to do right now is a community coming together. This would never have happened. I Anyone who's heard me talk about this before is like, oh, she's going to talk about that again. But the truth is, this would never, never have happened without Larry James. I had a tiny idea, which was to, I went to the rollout, C-SPAN rolled out the Thurgood Marshall book that Will wrote here in Columbus three years ago. And there was a huge, it was at the Lincoln Theater. And I went to the rollout, book rollout, which was a conversation between Will and uh, Judge Marbley. And I was sitting next to Will's cousin, though I did not know that at the time. Through the evening, Will's cousin and I kind of chat. And I thought, oh, it's Will's cousin. By the time the presentation ended, I realized that everything Will Haygood had done had touched some way onto the Harlem Renaissance. And yet, at the time, I thought he'd never written on the Harlem Renaissance. He later laughs and says, oh, actually, I have written on the Harlem Renaissance. It was in the 80s, but it's a very obscure article. Very few people will know it. But he said, yes, so this would be my revisiting it, but in a major way. And I had a tiny idea, which was to have Will Haygood curate an exhibition at the museum, which still seemed to be a really great idea to me. I shared it with Bill Connor, the late Bill Connor, who was head of CAP at the time. And Bill and I then shared it with Larry James. And it was Larry that invited Will to do it because they're they're very good friends. And it was Larry who saw the potential of making it into a community celebration. And the second thing is he saw what we needed to do is everything that everybody's doing be authentic. And so, you know, your institution, your group, whatever you're doing to show the influence of the Harlem Renaissance, it doesn't all have to be about this one historic moment. It should be about the influence of African-American culture on American culture because African-American culture is American culture. And I think that that is really important at this moment in time that I see the community come together and celebrate together. And one of my favorite parts of what happened is that, you know, we started asking, well, what else do we need to do for now, for right now, to impact right now? And one of the things we discovered was a lot of young artists of color do not know the gallerists here. They don't have gallery representation. They don't know about that. They don't know how to connect to that network that will enable them to sell their work. And we took that on as a challenge. One of the late summer, Gallery Hop was all about young artists connecting to gallerists, artists that had never shown in those galleries. And that will have a ripple effect for those artists. They will now be able to show and sell their work in a more significant way. It seems to me that even the name that you chose for the exhibition is very telling, very important. I mean, I, too, sing America. I think that reflects both, you know, what's going on in the Harlem Renaissance, but also, you know, things that are happening today. And, you know, it's based on this poem by Langston Hughes that says, Tomorrow I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I, too, am American. Can you talk about how that fits into today's society and the discussions about community and race? that we're having now? Well, we'll pick the title. And I, he's not only a brilliant writer, and he did write an incredible book to go with this exhibition, but he picked the title. And I think that title speaks directly to Will wanting us as our curator to continue to think about what America's like today. And we just had Dr. Driscoll here. David Driscoll was just here, who's one of, as I said, I was trained as an art historian. So when I was a young you know, student in graduate school, David Driscoll invented the history of African-American art as an art historian. I mean, he, as a curator, an art historian, an artist, he wrote it so that we would all understand it. He created that narrative. And he was here, he started his national tour. He's 87 and a half. <laughs> and listening, he, he talked about the Harlem Renaissance because he knew many of the second generation Harlem Renaissance artists. They're great photographs of him with Aaron Douglas and everything. But you know what he talked about was his life and he talked about living history. I mean, when you hear someone tell their life story when they're 87 and a half years old, that's living history. And 
to realize both how far we've come and how very far we need to go to be truly an inclusive society and a culture was haunting in that room. I mean, I learned things I, I never, never knew. He told a story about, he went to Howard. So they were going to Washington and he said, you know, we figured out really quickly that if you went up to a movie theater, he said, you know, a lot of Washington was still segregated in the late 40s after the war. And he said, he said most of it was, I mean, it's late 40s, way before Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. And he said, if you went up to a theater, you know, box office and you ask in English for a ticket, if you were African-American, if they allowed you to come in at all, they tell you to go up to the balcony. He said, but most of the time they told you you weren't allowed to come in. And he said, if you went up and ask in French, they assumed you were from Africa, that you were African, and you could come in. They would wow. sell you a ticket. Hmm. I had no idea that, and I feel I'm relatively well-informed about things, but I was, and he and I talked about that, and I mean, it's living history, and I think the show makes you realize that we've, we have come far. In a lifetime, this man's lifetime, he started as a sharecropper's son, and he went to Howard, he, and he's now one of the greatest living scholars. I mean, it was just such an honor to have him here in one lifetime. But at the same time, how far we have to go and how easily we fall back into even what people call a sort of a passive racism. We really need to be attentive. It takes every one of our citizens to make a great country and, you know, everyone's contributions. It is rather, I don't I want to say depressing might be too strong a word, but I do agree with you. It did strike me is that, you know, here you are. I'm looking through this exhibit and I see the signage on one painting that said, you know, this was one of the first, you know, I think he was European, German artist who came over and painted, Reese. Yes, uh, sorry, and painted African-American portraits, very realistic, and they were kind of shunned because it didn't fit the caricatures that people had in their head at the time. These were real people looking like you and I and everyone else, and oh my gosh. And he actually had a hard time getting people to put them in galleries because they were afraid they would attract African-American customers. And it's yes. like, that seems so backward and so yes. ancient thinking. But then you move on and you see these photos, these vernacular photos on the streets of inner cities, and you think, wow, you know, the inner cities in some ways still look like this today and maybe even worse in some way. You know what I mean? It's right. like, how far have we come and, and how far haven't we come? It's really interesting. Right. And the, the photography section of the exhibition is very interesting. So we kind of took it from two different approaches. One is that we worked with the James Vandersee family and estate to create to bring in some great. But James Vandersee was sort of the. I mean, he was like the photographer of the Harlem Renaissance. He starts as a commercial photographer in Harlem, and he realizes really quickly that he needs to do more than just have customers coming in and you know being photographed. That he needed to document what was going on in Harlem at that time, and he is the great. But I mean, the photograph everyone remembers is close your eyes and you'll see the huge, beautiful car and the two people standing in those fantastic fur coats. That's a James Vandersee photograph, and it sort of captures an entire moment in America. We complemented that. We balanced that with vernacular imagery. So vernacular images, pictures that we take of ourselves, of each other, also of sometimes commercial studios. And we wanted to show how people wanted to be represented. And that's really important. Self-representation and how you want to be seen in a photograph is really important. And the probably the toughest moment, the toughest conversation we had around the exhibition was there are something called real photo postcards. So you take a photo and you can make it into a postcard card and you could send it through the mail in the first half of the 20th century. And people took photographs at lynchings and they not only sent them through the mail, they would circle them and say, well, here I am or here's dad. In the crowd, right. When you see it, it's so horrific. And there's a really famous lynching that was in 
Marion, Indiana. And Will said, I want that postcard, that photograph in the show. It's in the book. And I said, and we talked about it. And there's a section of the exhibition which is arranged thematically that has an era of discord. So discord. Because at the same time that we are celebrating the great achievements, the, the incredible creativity of this period, it was also a period of deep racism and a period where people, I mean, lynching was went on and Will did not want to turn away from that. He said, we can't celebrate all that was achieved without looking at what was also happening to our country and to African-Americans at the time. And so that's a really tough one. It's a very small, it's, you know, if, if you're really something you don't want to see, it's a really small image. It's, it's easy to kind of not when you visit the show. But Will thought that was incredibly important. And the text around it talks about who the men were, you know, what happened and that the photographer made money off of that image. So, I mean, it does... Well, it, and that's it, in the North, you know. by the way. So, yes, it know. is. That's it. It's a lot not, of people don't think about that. Yeah, they yeah. think it's Mississippi. No, that yeah. was that was in Indiana. You know, I learned an incredible amount from Will Haygood, and it was just such an honor to work with him. He was so generous with his time and his talent, and the book he wrote was just extraordinary. I, mean, I really think the triumph of this exhibit is the dual purpose that you, you know, this beautiful, amazing art that a lot of people, like you said, weren't aware of, and it's all there, and, and you can certainly look at it as an art right. exhibit, but you yet can. you learn and you're challenged and you, it's put into, into context in history. And I think that's a really hard thing to pull off. And I think you guys did it. I was so touched when Dr. Driscoll walked through the exhibition and then he came back and he talked to me a little bit and he said, I really think it's, it feels very authentic. What you're doing here feels real and authentic and not like a one-off sort of thing. And I, that was, I, I was so proud that he said that, that he felt that way. So I think it really is an important exhibition. There's a real range of emotion like you were talking about too that's reflected in this. I mean, you have the joy of the dance halls and, you know, the baseball diamond and things like that that are reflected. And then, you know, I took my son to see the exhibit and we sat down for one of the activities that you have and there's this poem that is really dark about, you know, sort of being isolated and wrapping yourself and shrouding yourself in shadows and you're asked to sort of draw something based on that. And that is a totally different side of things that you're forced to confront. And I think it was good for all age groups. I'm wondering if you have a target audience for something like this. Well, what we try to do in all of our exhibitions is do sort of a layered approach. So you can walk through the exhibition, just be drawn to certain images that you want to see, like read the first text, guide, oh, I see, read a few things. You can, you know, really get in and kind of sort of deal with issues that are embedded in the exhibition. The vast majority of people that come to art exhibitions, museum exhibitions, come with somebody else. And actually your, what you do in a space will be very much sort of framed by who you come with. So if you come with very young children, children, grandchildren, you'll have one kind of experience. If you come with a friend or a colleague or, you know, you're on a date, you want a different kind of experience. And so what we want to do is create a way for people to deal with exhibitions, you know, to engage in different ways. And also that encourages you to come back because you, you might have a very different experience with coming to someone else. What's the conversation you want to have in that space that day? I was just going to say that. I think what you're saying is I went with my 75-year-old father and maybe Ryan and I should switch next time. He should go. <laughs> with his father and I should go with his son or something, right? <laughs> totally different, yeah. Nanette, I was also wondering if you have a favorite piece that's in the exhibit. <sighs> oh, that's like asking you to pick your favorite child. <laughs> but I have a favorite thing that we did in the show. Okay. One of my favorite things is, so when early on, when you do a Harlem Renaissance show, one of the artists that people, of course, Jacob Lawrence is there, Romare Bearden is there, All a lot of artists that you're going to know are there, Aaron Douglas, who is sort of the key figure for the Harlem Renaissance as a painter. 
<laughs> you're like Harlem Renaissance plus Archibald Motley. And me, the number of people who think Archibald Motley is a New York painter always amazes me. So Archibald Motley, who did the great dance scene that's in the, and also that beautiful painting of his, I think that's actually Archibald Motley's grandmother. That's just a beautiful painting of her sitting in a, in a chair. I may be wrong, that's not his grandmother, but I think it was a family member. So Archibald Motley painted in Chicago. He's a Chicago painter. So early on, we all laughed and said, okay, we're not going to do Harlem plus Archibald Motley. If we're going to do Archibald Motley, of course, everyone wants to, could we extend it out to the other urban areas in the north? Because that was, the, the you know, Harlem was the center of this, but it rippled out to Detroit and to Cleveland, to Chicago and to Boston. One of the favorite things that we did was we didn't just do Archibald Motley, who I absolutely adore, but we did an artist from Boston, Kreit, is in the show. All of his pictures seem to be kind of bottled up in Boston, so it's fantastic to see those pictures. We even did we did Elijah Pierce, which is probably the boldest thing we did. Will and I had a long conversation. He was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. But in truth, Mr. Pierce was here because of the Great Migration. He migrated up from Mississippi sort of in a stage right ending finally in Columbus, Ohio, where he made not only his career as a barber, but also this is where he did the vast majority of his carvings, lived here. So he's a result of that movement north and so we did include them include him and i and i thought that was kind of bold so that's really great the other thing i you know we haven't touched on that i think i should say is one of the goals for the painters of the harlem renaissance and the sculptors of the harlem renaissance i think even more than the photographers maybe it's really about the painters and the sculptors for me on this one is that elaine Locke, who was one of one of the great philosophers and writers of the new negro movement one of the things he wanted to instill in those artists was that we needed they truly and Archibald Motley believed this with every bit of his soul that by inserting images of African American life into the Western canon of art which we still talked about the Western canon of art early 20th century that we could truly see each other for the first time that Locke would talk about the fact that we don't see each other we've got to see each other to understand each other and to know each other and by having these images these new images of African American life included that would change race relations in this country I don't know if it did it certainly had an impact. I mean, again, we talk about how far we still have to go, but that was important in this movement. And for Will, there were certain images that he wanted more than, I mean, he really loved images of everyday life. That was important to him. He wanted that baseball image by Jacob Lawrence. Give me a baseball image. I I got the baseball image in it. But those were the images that he was drawn to, images of everyday life. Well, and again, it's I, too, am America. I, too, am America. You know, let's look around and see each other. We're all here. We're all Americans. And, And that's what had been missing. That's what I was talking about. Well, Nanette, it's an important exhibit, and we encourage everyone to to go check it out. I think both Ken and I enjoyed it, and so you know we thank you for putting it together and for coming yeah, to talk to us. And did you dip into the across the because there's actually two exhibitions in that space? Did we, you go into looking for Langston? We did, although I will say just briefly with my son, it was our last yeah, part of our yeah, stop little, at the little, uh, museum. But that it, day. in the contiguous space is a video exhibition by a living artist, Isaac Julian. We're really proud. This is a piece from the late 1980s that he did. It's a video, and then has photo outtakes and it's about Langston Hughes so it's really and it's specifically about exploring the fact that Langston Hughes was, was gay and again that's a very bold video for the late 1980s I mean we all like oh yeah we all know that Langston Hughes is gay yeah. 
late 1980s, that video, that's about 40 minutes. So give yourself a little bit of time, but it's a great thing. And we did it with PhotoFocus in Cincinnati. So we were proud of that too. Very cool. Well, yeah. thank you very much. We'll look forward to seeing it run its course and then see what's up next. Yeah, it's up till January 20th. So it's a great holiday treat. Very good. Thanks a lot, Nanette. Thanks. Thanks. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614. Oh, 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 oh,